This is Monday Matinee on the Mutual Audio Network. Come on, let's all go to the lobby. Because people are staring at us listening to these shows while we're in the theater. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. One day, I'll visit the Ringling Brothers' winter home for retired animals and watch lions and elephants wearing bathrobes and tattered slippers strolling on the beach. I'll walk along the shore, climb up on a cliff, and think about my life. Welcome to Reimagined Radio, a program about radio storytelling. I'm Jack Armstrong. With each episode, we combine dialogue, sound effects, and music to engage your listening imagination. This episode is no different, and here to tell you about it is John Barber, producer and host. Thank you, Jack. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Reimagined Radio. This episode is about Joe Frank, a radio storyteller and performer noted for his resonant voice and sincere delivery of ideas and stories that often were just at the edge of believability. This Joe Frank tribute samples from monologues and radio productions by Frank from early to near the end of his career. You should be able to hear Joe Frank's ability to create art from personal fears and insecurities. That was Joe Frank you heard at the episode opening, a monologue from a short film called Memories. More about that in a moment. And more Joe Frank stories coming up in the next hour. You're in for a treat here. Thanks for joining us as we present our Joe Frank tribute with this episode of Reimagined Radio. Born in 1938 in Strasbourg, France, Joe Frank and his parents moved to New York City to avoid Nazi persecution during World War II. He studied at Hofstra University and the Iowa Writers' Workshop. In 1977, he volunteered at WBAI, New York's legendary free-format radio station. He was inspired, he said, by radio's power to reach distant audiences who shared listening experiences. His program was In the Dark. Each episode was a narrative collage of dreamlike, angst-ridden, mesmerizing monologues, improvisations and dramatic scenes, and moody, ambient music. A look at the dark side of human nature. Disturbing but compelling, drawn from deep personal experiences. I have something going on inside me. And I think that all affected the way my radio programs developed. In a way, the absurdity came from the life I was leading. There was a certain craziness about what was going on when I was young. 
For this Joe Frank episode, we sample his stories from early career to just months before his death in 2018. Let's start with samples from Jewish Blues, one of the earliest known recordings of Joe Frank while at WBAI. Joe Frank and his friends are answering telephone calls from listeners. Well, I visited Bellevue once, and uh, I saw him. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> Can you imitate Joe Frank doing In the Dark? Oh, sorry, you didn't beat the reefer. Goodbye. 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 Bye. Excruciatingly pleasant talking to you. <laughs> Do you know what's really interesting about this particular person? <clears throat> He's this person is has this is the same person a number of times has uh, all these loops yeah these little things. loops um uh, i really have a suggestion to make to him or her and that is to try to you know, make them more elaborate longer and uh you know they're 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 teasers but uh i'd like more from from that person myself bai you're on the air i'm in manhattan you see and i'm riding up park avenue right now yes and uh I gotta know how to get to 115th and Lexington, and I'm not, you know, from the city, so I gotta have these directions. 100. You're where? You're just, in Park just Avenue. Just go up Park Avenue to 115th. And, hold on, let me make a right. Okay, you go. You just go straight up Park Avenue uh-huh. until just keep on going yeah. until you get to 116th Street, right. and then make a right. Uh-huh. And you go one block over, and then you're on Lexington, and then you make another right, and you go down to 115th and Lexington. All right. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. Uh, we'll take another telephone call. <laughs> this is BAI. You're on the air. I'm back My God. What? Come on. We've already had Peter Laurie. Yes, but this is the same one. <laughs> Give us a different character, then. Okay, could you tell me, are you always here? Uh, we're always here on Saturday nights from midnight to 5, yes. So. I'll be calling you up every Saturday night. Oh, I we really look forward to it, and I hope that you know you can develop your you know range and and uh, and and come up with new voices and new I sounds. Have a new voice. You do? Uh-huh. Okay, shoot. He's from Texas, so you have to be kind of careful. He's kind of stupid. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, we're waiting. Well, howdy. Jeez. <laughs> Slim. Fantastic. How are you doing? Have you been seeing them, them darn fangled new TV shows or movie shows they've been coming up with? No, uh, have you? Yep. What do you think of them? I like them. Darn good. Yeah, I saw one the other day. It was called, um, Star Wars. <laughs> and, um, my, my favorite character was that, uh, that big guy. You know the big guy? In Star Wars? Yeah. Uh, I didn't see that film. Arthur, you saw it three times, didn't you? Yes. You mean the big bad guy or the big good guy? He was the big good guy. I think his name was Tobacco. Ch- Chewbacca. They called him Chewy. No, he was Tobacco. Ch- Chewbacca. <laughs> tobacco? Yeah. Yes, right. Tobacco. Tobacco the Rookie, yeah. Yeah, Tobacco the Rookie. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's what I said in the first place, you dummy. <laughs> you got me. He's from Tex. Texas, too. We call yeah. him Tex, okay? This guy is really talented. Tex. He does Peter Laurie. He does uh, Bella Lugosi. He does a yeah, Texan. Tex. And who was the other one that did? Wasn't there somebody uh, else? He did a dog. A I dog. Think. Uh, an ape. An no, ape. an ape. An ape. Excellent. Um, now, thank you very much. We've got to go on to some other calls, though. Rogers, you forgot Mr. Rogers. 
Oh, Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers. Oh. No one will ever forget Mr. Rogers. We, not now we won't. Never forget Mr. Rogers. Okay, Mr. Rogers. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye, Mr. Rogers. Now call back Won't next Saturday. Be my neighbor? Okay, thank you very much for calling. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <coughs> yeah, you're on the air. Yes, uh, I would like to comment about one of what another call said, that uh, they don't like the programming on WBAI. Uh, I don't know how you can try to define any, any or free format radio. No. Yeah. Any kind of label on it. It's just what it is, free format. One of the part of listening around the programs is that uh, everybody on managed to offend everybody. <laughs> That's yeah. true. Be good. Okay, well, thank you very Thanks. much. We have a lot of other calls coming in. Very, very interesting. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. One more here. Good morning. You're on the air. Good morning. I just wanted to say that uh, we men have to come to grips with this particular thing. Men and women are dimensionally different and completely equal. Okay, thank you very much. BAI, you're on the air. Well, you may think this is crazy, but I'd like to report New York City is, is missing. <laughs> okay, I okay. think on that note, <laughs> we <laughs> will pass one. on uh, to just sailed right things. Uh, you have been listening to In the Dark. Uh, my name is Joe Frank, and uh, why don't we sort of identify ourselves by our voices here? Uh, Arthur Miller has been here. Yes, I was the high nasal al allergenic voice. That was me. Eric Sears is here. Yes, I was the uh, the one in the middle, surrounded by the two uh, musicians. And Timothy Jerome is also. I was the one who, who uh, was speaking mindlessly occasionally. <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd like to just say that these, these phone calls have confirmed what I've suspected for quite some time, that there's just a society of maybe five or ten people that make all these calls, <laughs> and wh what their goal is is to talk to one another, and that we serve merely as conduits for these five people to carry on conversations all night with each other. This is Reimagined Radio with our tribute to radio storyteller Joe Frank. That was a sample from Jewish Blues, broadcast in 1978, while Joe Frank worked at WBAI Radio in New York. His program, In the Dark, attracted attention from listeners and national public radio, as we'll see in a moment. But first, let's sample again from Memories, a short film made by Paul Rockman for CBS Television, broadcast September 14, 1990. We heard one Joe Frank monologue from Memories at the beginning of our episode. Let's listen now to two more. Last night I dreamt I was lost on an elevator. All the floors were the same. Then I realized the elevator was moving horizontally. So I tried another elevator. The Express. But it just got me more lost faster. People kept getting on and getting off. They were all wearing green gauze over their heads and were smoking ice cream cones. I said, please let me off at 39th Street. And the conductor said, this is 35th Street. You'll have to walk three blocks and take the escalator. But when I got to the escalator, it was just a phone booth. So I made a call. I called my father. I said, hello, I'm lost on 39th Street looking for an escalator and I can't find it anywhere. And he said, I'll be right there. And there he was. And the phone booth started moving forward very slowly with my father and I in it, and I didn't know where it was going or why. And he said, don't be afraid. This phone booth will take us home. And I said, but we have no home. And he said, we live on the eighth floor, a 
apartment Y. And I said, Why? And he said, Yes. Well, my father has always smoked Chesterfields, and right in the middle of this small, unventilated phone booth, he lit up an entire pack. He put the entire pack in his mouth and started to smoke. And I said, You're smoking a whole pack of Chesterfields. And he said, Yes. I smoke a pack a day. And I said, a whole pack? Yes, I can't give it up. I'll open a small TV repair shop in Tampa. I'll marry an attractive divorcee a clerk in a department store selling beauty products. She'll be tired of sleeping with people in motels that are so well lit outside you can never get the room dark enough. We'll sit in the backyard of our trailer on those chairs with straps on them next to a chipped bird bath. We'll grow old together. Then, one day, I'll get a hernia when I'm fishing in my small boat and hook a cinder block. She'll turn to her savior, who has snake hips, is quite lean, blonde, a pretty fair surfer, has a beautiful tenor voice, plays the pedal steel guitar, and would take her with him to Mexico if she'd only let him. These stories from Joe Frank's film, Memories, showcase his use of radio storytelling to process personal fears and insecurities. In a 1989 episode of NPR's Fresh Air program, host Terry Gross questioned Joe Frank about this practice. I guess it's Joe Frank. You know, a lot of your more personal shows deal with, with fears and insecurities, ones that, you know, we can all relate to. Um, but but I wonder if when you take your own insecurities and put them in a kind of persona and make them into an hour radio program, if um, if they're easier to deal with than they are, say, when you're lying awake alone in the middle of the night? Oh, yeah. They, as a matter of fact, uh, by, by using those experiences for radio programs, you, you transcend them. Uh, you almost look for bad experiences or painful experiences. Uh, whatever tragedies might befall you, you can always right away think, well, that would make a great story <laughs> for radio, so that it was, it was easier to, uh, to experience uh, whatever suffering that came my way. In 1978, Joe Frank was invited by National Public Radio to co-host Weekend All Things Considered. At the end of each episode, he was to deliver a five-minute monologue. It wasn't a good fit for Joe Frank or NPR. He resigned and worked the remainder of his year-long contract producing programs for NPR's Options, a radio experience. When his contract wasn't renewed, Joe Frank continued independently producing radio storytelling for NPR Playhouse, building on what he had learned at WBAI. 
I'm constantly driven by the desire to to do something that has never been done before on the radio or to uh, to surprise and astonish and amaze my listeners or or uh, uh, just to kind of press the limits uh, as far as I can carry them or press them. In 1986, Joe Frank moved to KCRW, the NPR radio station in Santa Monica, California. There he wrote, produced, and performed a weekly hour-long radio program. And he became famous. The Wall Street Journal called Joe Frank radio's Prince of Darkness. In 1989, Spin magazine trumpeted, Joe Frank is an invaluable warrior who stands in defense of our fears, our vanities, and our ever-eroding sense of ourselves. He transforms the everyday banality of the human comedy into an inspired weirdness that feeds on pathos and irony and feels a lot like revelation. Sartre would have called it nausea. Frank makes it art. You are listening to Reimagined Radio. This is John Barber, producer and host. We'll hear more of our Joe Frank tribute in just a moment. But first, I want to tell you about The Fusebox Show, a different kind of radio storytelling we are proud to support. Here's a sample. Fusebox. How many golf balls must there be off the coast of Florida? Enough to bury Mar-a-Lago to its gold-plated turrets? We live in the age of sloppy in plain sight. Mmm, sloppy. Catch Fusebox the first Wednesday of the month at 12.30 p.m. here on KXRW 99.9. As you heard, the cast is colorful. The sound design and voice acting shows real talents at work doing things the rest of us mortals dream about. And the way Fusebox responds to the things that supposedly smart people do that are anything but? Well, when Fusebox broadcasts, you can reach out your hands and feel the power coming through your radio. Learn more at the Fusebox Show website, www.thefuseboxshow.com. This is Reimagined Radio's Joe Frank Tribute. Welcome back. This next example of Joe Frank's radio storytelling is from Green Cadillac, broadcast in 1993. Let's listen as Joe Frank describes how he became friends with a car thief. A few years ago, I was working as a salesman for a used car dealer. One afternoon, a tall, good-looking black guy came in wearing jeans and a t-shirt. He was driving a four-year-old blue Honda, which he wanted to sell. The body had a few dings, and one of the rear lights was broken, but it was in good running condition. I liked the car and bought it for myself for $5,000. A week later, I was driving along MacArthur Boulevard when I heard a siren. I looked in my rearview mirror, saw the flashing lights of a patrol car, and pulled over to the curb. Then I heard a voice on the police car speaker tell me to get out with my hands up. 
I lifted myself out of the car and turned to look at two cops, both of whom, shielded by the open doors of their patrol car, had drawn their revolvers, which were aimed at me. One of them shouted, turn back around, don't look this way. Now go over to the sidewalk and lie face down with your hands behind your back. I did what he told me, and the other cop ran up and came down hard on my back with his knee, and my chin ground into the pavement as he handcuffed me. Then they brought me down to the precinct, where I met Detective Meltzer. It turned out the Honda was a hot car. The title papers had apparently been forged by someone at the DMV. Once I explained to Meltzer how I'd bought it, and my story was corroborated by my boss, Mr. Hanauer, at the dealership, Meltzer said they'd let me go. The car was impounded to be returned to its owner. I said, but what about the 5,000 I paid for it? Look, the DMV is responsible for this, and I want my money back. Detective Meltzer said, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. A few days later, while I was walking home from work, I saw the same black guy who sold me the Honda standing in the middle of the block, talking to a woman. I ran to a phone booth on the corner and called Detective Meltzer. I said, I'm across the street from the guy who stole the Honda. I'm staring right at him. And Meltzer said, it's okay. He was already arrested. He's out on bail. I said, what are you talking about? He said, he didn't commit a felony so he was able to raise bail. I said, well, what about my $5,000? Meltzer said, sorry, there's nothing we can do. So I screwed up my courage and crossed the street to confront him. I said, remember me? You sold me the blue Honda and I ended up in jail and now I don't have a car and I'm out $5,000. He looked me up and down and said, sorry man, I'd like to help you, but the money's gone. Then he turned and walked off with the woman. I called out, hey, you owe me. But he and the woman just kept going. The next day, around noon, I was walking to the Lone Star, a diner near the dealership, when a late model Peugeot pulled over to the curb the same black guy got out, wearing a pair of slacks and a sweater, and went in the door. I was really pissed. Here I was, forced to ride buses and walk all over town, and this guy was driving around in yet another, even finer automobile. I walked up to the Peugeot, looked inside, and saw that he'd left the keys in the ignition. It didn't take longer than a split second before I knew what to do and I jumped in, drove off with it, and parked it in a garage a mile away. Then I called the diner and asked for the tall black guy in the sweater. When he got on, I told him I had his Peugeot and I'd give it back to him for $5,000. As soon as he recognized my voice, he laughed and said, that car, I just stole it, you can keep it. Then he hung up. So I left the car in the garage and a few days later, the cops towed it away. Then it was Friday afternoon before Halloween. I was driving a 1988 Audi I'd borrowed from my boss, Mr. Hanauer, 
when I couldn't believe it. I saw the black eye again, parked at the curb of 25th and Connecticut in a brand new white Lexus, a $40,000 car. This time, he was wearing a foulard tie and an Armani suit, and it just made my blood boil, because here I was, slogging away as a used car salesman, wearing the same chinos and jacket I bought over five years ago, riding the bus to work, and this guy who'd ripped me off was making me look more and more like a jerk. I just couldn't stand it. And before I knew what I was doing, I pulled the Audi over in front of his car, blocking him so he couldn't pull out. And I called Detective Meltzer on Mr. Hanauer's car phone. And Meltzer said, look, are you harassing him again? How do you know he stole the car? Meanwhile, the black eye realized something was going on, hopped in his Lexus, backed out of the space, and tore off down the street. I gunned the Audi and went after him. We headed west on 16th Street, sped across Mass Avenue against the light, tires shrieking as cars braked to avoid hitting us. Meanwhile, I was still on the phone with Meltzer, who was continuing to interrogate me as if he thought I'd done something wrong. Then we were racing down side streets, shrieking around corners, speeding through stop signs and red lights, until he veered up onto Route 50, heading east into Prince George's County. At this point, Detective Meltzer asked me for my location. Holding the phone with one hand and steering with the other, I told him where I was on Route 50. When I looked down at the speedometer, it read 110 miles per hour and the red arrow was still climbing. The next thing I knew, the guy exited off on a ramp, jammed on the brakes, and jumped out of his car. I pulled over next to the Lexus, as close to the driver's side door as possible, so that he wouldn't be able to get back in. He came over to my window. I rolled it down and said, listen, I want to talk to you. And he said, I want to talk to you too, mother and he snatched the phone from my hand and ripped it out of the car. I opened the door, threw myself at him, and got caught with a glancing punch on the cheek. My sunglasses went flying as we traded blows. I dragged him down onto the pavement, and we wrestled by the roadside. People drove by, but no one stopped. He broke free, and when I got up, he pushed me backward over the railing onto the grass, jumped over, and began kicking me in the body and the head when I grabbed his ankle and took a bite out of his calf. He screamed and cursed. By this time, a white guy in a pickup truck had pulled over, gotten out, and had begun to watch. I called out to him, come on, give me a hand. Whose side are you on anyway? But he just stood there, witnessing the event. The black guy broke away again and with his Armani suit ripped to shreds, ran to his car. When he couldn't squeeze in the driver's side door, he ran around to the other side, but that door was locked, and his keys were still in the ignition. I thought, uh-oh, and lunged forward and snatched the keys to the Audi. Meanwhile, cars were continuing to pass us on the off-ramp. I started yelling, stop, call the police, help, 
the black guy started calling out to every black driver who passed. Brother, get me out of here. Get me out of here. And as we both stood there, shouting to passing cars, trying to out-yell each other, we looked at one another, and he suddenly broke into a grin and started laughing. And I couldn't help it. I started laughing too. And the two of us were doubled over at the side of the road. Then he came over to me, with tears in his eyes. He was laughing so hard. And he put his arm around my shoulder and said, you are one tenacious son of a bitch. And that was how I first got to be friends with Brooks. That was a sample from Joe Frank's Green Cadillac. It demonstrates well Joe Frank's distinctive radio style, a mesmerizing voice providing sincere delivery of compelling ideas and stories just at that edge of believability. Joe Frank left KCRW in 2002 and worked as an independent radio producer. He returned to KCRW in 2012, creating half-hour shows for the new unfictional series produced by Frank Carlson. Reality Check is an example. Broadcast June 21, 2013, this program features Joe Frank considering the human condition. I've been driving cross-country. I'm in a motel. It's late afternoon. I'm so tired that I decide to go to bed and get back on the road early the next morning. I go to sleep and wake up refreshed. Dawn is breaking. I pack my things and get in my car. As I drive, the sky grows darker. I seem to be heading into a vast, pitch-black storm sweeping over the plains. I turn on my headlights. It's mystifying because there's no rain or thunder or wind and no cars on the road. I begin to feel a mounting sense of dread. Something unnatural is happening. I've never seen anything like it. An immense darkness seems to be spreading over the world. Alarmed, I turn on the radio, moving the dial from station to station. I hear talk, music, commercials. Everything seems to be normal. Are these people unaware of what's approaching? Finally, I see a gas station with its lights on up ahead. I pull up next to the office, jump out of my car, and run in. The man behind the counter is watching a ball game on TV. The clock above him shows 10.20. Suddenly, I realize I slept for about three hours, and it's later the same night. As I walk out of the office, I see my parents standing by a gas pump. My father is barefoot, his hair matted, wearing filthy gray sweatpants with a tattoo of a pair of cross tennis rackets on his arm. My mother, standing beside him, is in a torn prom dress, wobbly high-heeled pumps, grasping a shopping cart piled high with junk. They ask me for money because they say they've lost their bus tickets to Atlanta, where my father has an appointment for a job interview, and my mother needs to get to a research hospital because she's dying of pancreatic cancer. I wake up. I'm still in my hotel room. I turn the TV on. 
to an old movie. Life is going to a crowded restaurant on your first date with a woman you've admired for years, but were never able to summon the courage to ask out for the evening. And being told there's a waiting list and the names will be called in alphabetical order. And your name is Zarathustra. And finally, an hour later, when you're seated, a waiter comes to your table and announces that although prices have risen and the service is slower, there's no more food available on the menu. And then you're pressed into service in the kitchen and your date is taken away on a slave ship and held in a brothel. And you remember the smell of your aunt's linen closet when you were very small. Life is strolling along a boardwalk filled with penguins sitting on benches at outdoor cafes, drinking lattes, and talking and laughing when killer whales in a coordinated attack leap out from the ocean and belly shimmy their way, jaws snapping into the main body of penguins who are thrown into a panic and disorder, the waddling flightless birds frantically looking for their young, while some of the larger males bravely attempt to put up resistance, only to be swallowed whole, squawking and wriggling down the throats of the killer whales, devoured on the spot. The penguins have been caught in a pincer movement, the whales having planned the attack for weeks in a war room with charts and maps, and finally, satisfied and overstuffed, surrounded by the remains of the penguins, bones, teeth, tails, feathers, beaks, the killer whales, in a state of lethargy, fall asleep and fail to see polar bears floating toward the shore on icebergs fitted with large sails and small outboard motors, the bears wearing goggles, spiked collars, and leather helmets, insignias burned into their fur. When the polar bears reach the shore, they swarm over the killer whales, tear at their throats, and open their bellies to reveal the remains of the not yet digested penguins. It's a massacre, and that's life. Penguins eaten by killer whales, who are devoured by polar bears. verbally abusive drinker, a gun enthusiast and hunter who brings home his trophies, butchering deer and elk in the garage and placing their heads on the walls of their home. Then she tells you her husband is very jealous and she's afraid he's been following her. You look like you could both use a drink. 
and you pour three brandy snifters of Napoleon Vial Reserve. Then, cupping the bottoms of your glasses, you all swirl your snifters, inhale deeply the intoxicating fumes, clink glasses, take a sip, and feel the warmth of liquor spreading within you. Then they throw you to the floor and beat you mercilessly. standing by the bed of your 90-year-old mother while watching the Turner Classics movie channel. Are you pleased with the gown? Yes, it's... it's beautiful. What's the matter, child? What's wrong? Nothing. You haven't changed your mind about the wedding, have you? Oh, no. If you have, it isn't too late. You know how I feel about him. But I want to make you happy. <laughs> what is it, child? Uh, aren't you happy? <laughs> I thought so. I knew there was something on your mind. There, there. <laughs> what is it, darling? You haven't fallen in love with somebody else, have you? <laughs> have you? <laughs> I haven't seen you cry since you were a baby. This must be serious. Where did you meet him? <laughs> On the road. Now don't tell me you fell in love with a bus driver. No. I don't know very much about him, except that I love him. Well, if it's as serious as all that, we'll move heaven and earth to... It'll do no good. He despises me. Oh, come now. He despises everything about me. He thinks I'm spoiled and pampered and selfish and thoroughly insincere. Ridiculous. He doesn't think so much of you, either. He blames you for everything that's wrong about me. Thinks you raised me stupidly. Um, lost a page here. <laughs> oh, here we go. Pick it up a few lines back. Yep. He blames you for everything that's wrong about me. Thinks you raised me, stupidly. Well, what are we gonna do about it? Seeing as how you, that's how you feel, why... It doesn't matter. I've made your life so miserable, and, and mine too. I'm tired, Father. Tired of running around in circles. He's right. That's what I've been doing ever since I can remember. I've gotta settle down. It really doesn't matter how, or where, or with whom. You're sitting in the midst of a traffic jam at a red light. You're miserable and you think, here I am, sitting in my sports car, bemoaning my fate, wondering how I can withstand another day of this agony, while I should be counting my blessings instead of wallowing in self-pity. You see a small group of homeless people standing on the corner, and you know they're not thinking about killing themselves. They're thinking about doing everything they possibly can to survive. And here you are, compared to them, privileged, wealthy, full-bellied. And for a moment, you feel shamed out of your state of self-pity. But it doesn't last. It doesn't stay with you for long. Soon, your mind returns to your own misfortunes, and you re-experience that sense of misery 
and injustice and the desire to make the scales more even. You've been dealt an unfair hand and a house of cards is stacked against you. A new shopping mall has been built. A huge two-story atrium-centered marble and stainless steel structure with waterfalls and interior gardens. A giant clear glass dome over the top. You're browsing in Brookstones. You inspect a Japanese shiatsu chair where unseen fists emerge to knead the acupressure points of your back. A device that looks like a slipper into which you slide your foot and five small guillotines with sensors come down and cut your toenails, which are carried away on a moving conveyor belt and deposited in a hazard waste container. Your favorite is a treadmill with different speeds and angles of ascent with a video monitor that shows paths through parklands and alpine mountains and tropical rainforests with magnificent birds and howler monkeys. Or, if you prefer, an urban landscape in which you're being pursued by teenage gang members in hooded sweatshirts holding steel pipes and golf clubs, causing you to run more quickly and increase your heart rate. The Aztecs would drug their victims and take them one by one up the terraced steps to the top of their great stone pyramids, where priests would cut out their still beating hearts and offer them up to their gods. They did this to cause the rain to fall on their crops, to prevent pestilence and disease, to ensure that the nearby volcano would not bury them in ash, that the ocean would not encroach upon the land, that their women would be faithful their children obedient, their parents magnanimous, and their benefactors dead. Prayers that could only be answered by sacrificing citizens on the top of a terraced pyramid deep in the Mesoamerican jungle on a lazy Saturday afternoon. Last night, I dreamt of roller skates and toilet bowls and porcine snouts in which I swam, my body dissolving into bacteria that exploded into a fireworks display that danced across the sky like an ensemble of aquatic celestial colored bubbles. driving on a freeway, going about 70, when a huge SUV passes you on the right. The driver is a very pretty young woman, wearing a pair of sunglasses and a baseball cap. She's talking on a cell phone, and it outrages you because you despise people who talk on the phone while driving. And you sit there, fuming, with your half-eaten Subway sandwich in an open wrapper on your lap, your fingers greasy with mayonnaise, when, suddenly, without signaling, the SUV swerves in front of you and clips your fender and your car veers off 
and enters a spin in which you see the traffic behind you and then in front of you and then behind you and then in front of you and your car flips over the median sending it into rollover and now you see the sky and then the pavement and then the sky and then the pavement until finally you crash through the front of an electronics store and come to a shattering halt in front of a row of television sets. I'm at a hotel because my apartment building is being fumigated. I'm on Percocet because I don't know what else to be on. I go down to the pool and relax in the sauna. Then, wearing my bathrobe, I walk into the formal dining room, sit down at a table, and place a cell phone call to a radio station. I tell the operator that I'm on the roof of a skyscraper about to jump. She tries to talk me out of it. I ask for the sports department. Now I'm on the phone with a sportscaster. I ask him for the latest scores. As the dining room manager approaches to kick me out of the restaurant, I hang up and walk out to a nearby mall. I buy a ticket for a high-octane action movie. After sitting in the theater for 15 minutes, I return to the box office and complain that I was misled by the title. I expected to see a nature documentary featuring Australian marsupials. My money is refunded. Still wearing my bathrobe, I enter a department store. I wander down an aisle when a sales clerk comes up to me and asks, May I help you? Yes, I say, thank you. I do need help. Life seems meaningless to me. I'm making less and less sense to myself. be averse to sitting by my bedside and holding my hand, mopping my brow, combing my hair, giving me a sponge bath, powdering me, sleeping on a wooden chair by my bed throughout the night, and arranging for my cremation and the scattering of my ashes in Morro Bay. San Diego Freeway. Four in the morning, 80 miles an hour, pulled over by Jesus dressed as a highway patrolman. He wipes his palm across his forehead, leaving a trail of blood. I fall on my knees begging forgiveness. I'm baptized and sent on a heavenly trajectory toward eternity, dead on arrival.
You're listening to Reimagined Radio's tribute to the radio storytelling of Joe Frank. I'm John Barber, producer and host. Excellent radio storytelling, like that by Joe Frank, combines voices, sound effects, and music to spark your imagination. That's the effect we strive for with each episode of Reimagined Radio. Answer me, who is this? Do you realize you're driving me crazy? Who's calling me? What are you doing it for? Now stop it! Stop it! Stop it! He marches with rattled metal. He tramples his shadow. He mounts by the pyramid, stamps on the stairway, turns. His arm rises. His visor is opening. The most important thing is to recapture the mechanical peak. Upcoming episodes of Reimagined Radio include short stories by local independent radio producers and stories that may have influenced the most famous radio story ever broadcast, The War of the Worlds. I hope you will join us for interesting radio storytelling. Let's return now to our Joe Frank tribute. This final example of Joe Frank's radio storytelling is taken from A Life Well Lived, broadcast October 4, 2013, as part of KCRW's Unfictional series. In this monologue, Joe Frank talks about the hardships of love and personal fragmentation. at a party with his wife. He looked across the room and saw her talking to a handsome young man. They appeared to be enjoying each other's company enormously. They were laughing, leaning into each other, and at one point, she reached out and touched him. She looked radiant, her eyes shining. She was obviously very attracted to the young man, and he experienced a desperate, sinking feeling because what he was watching was achingly, painfully familiar. It was something he'd felt with her when they'd first met, and he recognized it was something that was no longer there. Driving home with her later that evening, he said, you really seem to be having a good time with John. I never realized how funny he is, she answered. You looked like you were flirting with him. Why do you assume that just because I'm having a nice time, a nice conversation with someone, that there's something going on? But her protest only amplified his certainty. He sat in silence in the car, knowing what he saw and recognizing what she felt. When people get married, they're full of hope. They love each other. They're starting a new life together. It's a deeply meaningful commitment. They're going to attach themselves to someone for the rest of their lives. They're giving their souls over to another human being. I lived with my parents in an apartment building on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And there was a couple, very nice, 
few doors down from us. And we'd see this middle-aged couple every so often on the elevator. The man was always well-dressed, and the woman wore stylish and expensive clothing. And when we shared the elevator, we'd acknowledge each other, saying good morning, maybe something about the weather. And then, one day, when I was home alone, I heard screaming and shouting in the hallway. And then I heard a woman shrieking and banging violently on my door, pleading, let me in, let me in. My husband is trying to kill me. He's trying to kill me. Let me in. I was very frightened, but I recognized it was the voice of my neighbor. And I opened the door, and she was wearing a house coat and one slipper, and her hair was in disarray. And she was terrified, imploring me to call the police. And down the hall, I saw the husband standing by the open door of their apartment. And then he walked down the hall and screamed at her and took her by the arm and walked her back into their apartment. I didn't tell my parents what had happened. And the following morning, when my father and I were leaving, my father to go to work and I to school, the couple got on the elevator and the husband was wearing a gray herringbone suit and his wife was wearing a fur coat and her hair was coiffed. And we all nodded to each other and said hello and they acted as if nothing had happened. Crib, stroller, teddy bear, doll's house, roller skate, school book, field hockey stick, soccer ball, vinyl boot, visored cap, megaphone, birth control pill, pregnancy stick, high school yearbook, graduation gown, love letter, airline ticket, Puerto Vallarta, wedding picture, golf club, ping pong table, swimming pool, striped umbrella, visa bill, motel receipt, tear-soaked handkerchief, divorce papers, antidepressant, sleeping pill, hair dye, wrinkle cream, singles dinner, self-help book, playing card, domino, laxative, cane, walker, wheelchair, oxygen tank, hospital bed, morphine drip, death certificate, coffin, tombstone, a life well lived. You're listening to Reimagined Radio's tribute to radio storyteller Joe Frank. Hi, everybody. John Barber here to encourage your support of community radio. Reimagined Radio and other thought-provoking programs heard on this station are made possible by your support. The money you invest in community radio stays local. It works for your community. It builds something that benefits everyone. If you already support community radio, thank you for your generosity. If not, please contact your community radio station 
and learn how to support their efforts. Thank you for your support. This is Reimagined Radio. Our episode is a tribute to radio storyteller Joe Frank. The official Joe Frank website estimates he produced 250 hours of radio storytelling. We sampled from Jewish blues, memories, green Cadillac, reality check, and a life well-lived to demonstrate Joe Frank's efforts to invent new story forms by combining monologue, improvised dramatic scenes, and music loops. Joe Frank was honored with several awards, including the Peabody Award, broadcasting's highest honor, and a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Third Coast International Audio Festival. Joe Frank died in 2018. His legacy continues, however, as thousands of people listen to Joe Frank's stories whenever they are broadcast. I hope you enjoyed our reimagined radio Joe Frank tribute. Please visit our website and learn more about Joe Frank and his radio storytelling, www.reimaginedradio.net. Content curation and script by John Barber. Music composition and post-production by Mark Rose. Our presence on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram is coordinated by Regina Carroll Social Media Management. Graphic design by Catherine Klaus. Our announcer is Jack Armstrong. This is John Barber producer and host. In addition to our website, look for Reimagined Radio on SoundCloud and the Internet Archive. Thanks again for listening. This has been a production of Reimagined Radio. Our radio broadcasts are heard on local, regional, and international community radio stations. For on-demand streaming, point your browsers to our website, Reimagined Radio. That's all one word, no punctuation. While you're there, subscribe to our snappy email program guide. Thank you so much for listening, and please join us again for another episode of Reimagined Radio, where we'll continue our exploration of radio storytelling. Hi there. Are you a fan of all things horror? Yeah? You are? Well, in that case, find Tuesday Terrors, which is the mutual audio feed that comes out on a Tuesday, believe it or not. Shock horror, I know. But if you subscribe there, you'll find amazing horror fiction audio in your player every Tuesday. Yeah. Tuesday Terrors. Subscribe to the Mutual Audio Network. The Mutual Audio Drama Network, where we listen and imagine together.